0: Resurrection proves that Jesus has the power to forgive us, sustain us, and offer us an eternal home with him. This is going to be our topic today as we continue in this Back to Basics series. If you haven't been a part of this or you maybe missed a week, you might want to go back and check it out because it's been a really great series as we walk through some of the basics of where, we're, uh, where we've been as a faith and where, where we're going. And so I do want to encourage you to do that. The, the past messages have been incredible. This is week four. And we're using the Apostles' Creed as kind of a guideline to get there. So um, obviously we hold our authority and we hold our truth in the Word of God. The Apostles' Creed is simply directing us to different passages that help us understand and know what we believe. I do wanna let you know that today, Wayne is at Anderson campus uh, this morning. And so uh, we're excited for that. And Dr. Chuck Fuller was planned to be here today, but yesterday came down with COVID. So um, I'm uh, for for Dr. Fuller and, um, I'm so glad that I get to be here with you today. This truly is a blessing uh, and a joy. If you wanna turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can do that. Uh, that would be really awesome. And while you're doing that, let me just remind you, man, God is really working in our church. I know some of y'all already know this because you've tried to find a parking space lately and you've just been like, wow, this is, what's going on here? You know, did we, did we sell a parking lot? Uh, what's happening? Um, but uh, man, God is really working. we just had so many uh, new faces through here last week, we had 110 people, the largest getting to know you event ever uh, last week at our getting to know you. So can we just praise the Lord for that real quick? (laughs) You know, it's just so awesome to be a part of a church uh, that that God is blessing and God is using uh, to impact the world and the kingdom, especially here in the upstate. I love that we're not just stuck in, in downtown Simpsonville or confined in this little area, but across the upstate, God's uh, moving and, and doing incredible things so it's great to be a part of that even this morning both of my kids are serving uh, in the kids area they're both uh, ones in high school ones in middle school and it's just really exciting to see them get excited about the church right and serving the church and being a part of the church and so I love being a part of a church that we can get excited about um, get, being a part of so man it's, it's awesome um, I mentioned this earlier that we use the Apostles Creed as kind of uh, a guideline that's really pointing us to scripture. Ultimately, it's, it's the Bible that we put our authority in. But today we're gonna talk uh, specifically about the resurrection of Christ. And so I wanna, what I would like to do is read the Apostles' Creed as to where we've been, and then talk about the portion of it that we're gonna use as kind of a launching off point uh, for this morning. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that's the portion that we're gonna focus on today is that on the third day, he rose again he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So it's a lot of, a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of ground to cover, uh, so hang with me as we do that. You know, the Apostles' Creed was interesting, and it dates back really to the third century uh, because the early church did not have the completed word of God in their hands. If you think about it, the printing press had not been invented yet, and certainly there were scrolls available uh, for them to read, but for the average person to have even a portion of the Word of God would have been a major, major thing. And so for the average Christian, there was a lot of ideas where you would simply try to figure out your faith, but you don't have the Bible there as a guideline. And the Apostles' Creed really helped the average Christian try to understand what they believed so that as they began to to get their hands on Scripture, as they began to share and worship together uh, and hear the preaching of the Word together, they were able to understand a basic guideline as to their faith. Now certainly as you can probably guess there was a lot of heretical things that were coming up as people were uh, didn't, didn't have the Bible. And so they're like, well, maybe God would do this, right? And so it was a regular uh, challenge for them. And the Apostles' Creed offered them that guideline. Last week, we talked about the significance of the cross to the Christian faith, central uh, to uh, the Christian faith. And today, we're going to talk about another central portion of, of the faith, which is the resurrection of Christ. We're going to spend a lot of time Um, there. We're going to look at what Jesus did. We're going to look at what he's doing and what he will do. There's a lot of things about God that we cannot understand. Truly, there's a lot of things about the Lord that we try to figure out, but we just can't understand. But here's the thing we can know is that God has revealed himself through his word. Now we can spend all day trying to figure out about the things that he has not revealed about himself that we can try to understand. But what we do know is, this is how God has revealed himself to us. And so it behooves us to actually read the word and get to know this God who has revealed himself to us through this word. And so what we're gonna do is actually read in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, If I haven't asked you to turn there, go ahead and turn there. We're gonna read through that in just a second. We believe Jesus died on a cross, and we know that because the Romans knew death. The, the Romans were excellent at death. In fact, like while the cross may seem like a unique way of persecution or death for us today, it certainly wasn't for Roman times. Um, the cross was a normal way, or at least a familiar way, uh, for them to, to take care of those people that they thought deserved it, whether they were murderers or thieves or whatever the case may be. They would crucify these people on the side of the road. As you were walking into the town, you would see these people literally hanging there. Now, it would be... Really hard to to picture this in your head, but it was a regular thing to experience cross as a form of uh, judgment, as a, as a form of persecution. And so, um, as you would walk into this town, you would think, certainly, I don't want to, you know, I got to be a good boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to do good things. I don't want to end up like one of those guys. And so, it was a picture to them, uh, to to the world, as if you come in our place, you you better know what you're doing. You better uh, be on uh, your your Right thing. You better like cross your T's and dot your I's as much as you need to because at the end of the day, for you to do wrong or for you to do bad, man, um, you, you could end up on the side of the road. And, and that's not a great thing. And so the Romans knew death. In fact, they, they knew how to kill people. They knew how to make them suffer. Um, and so for Jesus, when he died on the cross, I think we can look at the resurrection and think, well, maybe this was just some kind of magic trick. Right? Maybe Jesus somehow died on this cross and there was this illusion that he died and, and maybe he was still okay and so the resurrection was just him healing. And I wanna just think about that for a second because the Romans killed people regularly. They're experts at this. Jesus, beaten to within an inch of his life, bloody and, and parts of his body exposed, asked to carry this cross, carried the cross, couldn't even get it all the way there without help, and then nailed to a cross and bled with a crown of thorns on his head, to the point where they would pierce his side, and it's stated even in Scripture as well, they pierced his side and blood and water flowed, showing his heart had given up. The Romans verified his death, and death feels like a very final thing because it is, If somebody's sick or if somebody's injured, you have hope, you're like, I hope they're going to do well, I hope they're going to recover, I hope they're going to get better. But death is a final thing. There's no coming back from that moment. There's not a moment where where we look at it and we think, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe maybe we'll see that person again. Death is a final thing for us. And yet Jesus dies. You imagine the, the followers, and I know it's hard to even put ourselves in their shoes, but the the disciples who have spent all of their time with him, the disciples who've experienced lives changed, they, they've seen him heal people, they've, they've seen and heard the good news, they've preached it themselves, they've been sent out to other places and reconvened to kind of share their, their movements that they've been able to, to share with the gospel. And, and now their savior is, is here and he's dead and he's in a tomb and he's not breathing. His heart is not beating the tragedy that they would feel, the, the immense pain that they would walk through as they said, man, I, is everything, we've been teaching a lie. C- certainly the disciples were short-sighted and thought Jesus might be coming to establish his own kingdom here on earth, that um, Jesus might overthrow the Romans and Israel would finally be able to, to be on its own. And so they certainly were thinking of their own time frame, not realizing that Jesus had a much bigger plan, but Jesus gave his life And the beauty of that is that Jesus gave his life for your and I's sin. And by resurrecting, he shows the validity of his power. So he died for our sin and he resurrects to show us that he is capable. He verifies his own power by doing that. The cross of Christ, in the book Cross of Christ, John Stott says it like this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims uh, prerogatives that only belong to God, but God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Jesus stood in our place by going to the cross. Jesus gave his life for us by going to the cross because our sin is, is now on his back and he became the substitutionary atonement for us. He stood in our place and takes that punishment for us. And through his resurrection, we see that he has the power to do so. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, we're gonna read about um, how others experience his resurrection as well. He says uh, in verse one, now it reminds you brothers of the gospel I preach to you which you've received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul saying here, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the truth, still believe. I wanna encourage you as the church. And he says in verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. First Corinthians, Paul is reminding us of the fact that Jesus not just rose, but rose and actually encountered over 500 people through his resurrection. And I think yet we still sometimes feel like we have the power to save ourselves and we neglect the fact that our God is a living God who rose from the dead. I'm a, I'm a stress eater. I don't know if there's any stress eaters out there, right? Um, and uh, just like nothing better than like a little ice cream, right, or a little pie. Or Mel made like peach cobbler the other day, it was great. Um, the pie over cake any day, and, uh, but ice cream always. That's kind of the motto for me in my life. Um, But stress eating doesn't help, right? When you're in the moment, maybe for a second, it takes your mind off of what you're focused on, but it doesn't help. And in our own strength, we can sometimes just try to to figure it out on our own and we, we find solutions or we think we find solutions that simply do not help us. Because we have to lean into the fact that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, And through his death and through his resurrection, he has shown us that he has all the power to do it and that we have none of it. And we need that gift of salvation. Nobody else in history has ever rose from the dead on their own power. The ones that we know have rose from the dead is because Jesus told them to, right? Jesus, has all power and all authority. And so we ask ourselves about the resurrection. There's a few questions that I would like for us to really uh, kind of talk about for a second about the resurrection. That I think many of us have either had or will have. And the first one I really wanna talk, uh, read to you some verses from Luke uh, chapter 24, it says in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. The disciples, uh, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands, look at my feet, it is myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I think there's some questions that we have about the resurrection. Maybe, maybe Jesus didn't actually bodily resurrect. Maybe just as God, he showed up and maybe like a forced ghost fashion, right? Like Star Wars style, you know? And you're like, this is Obi-Wan next to Jesus over here, right? So Jesus just showed up in a spiritual way, I don't know. And yet this verse, these verses clearly refute that, that Jesus is saying, not, I'm not just a ghost, I am here in your presence. Look at my hands, look at my feet. By the way, you got something I can eat right now? I'm kind of hungry, right? Jesus shows up bodily to their presence. They must have been pretty shocked. The second question I have is, maybe the disciples made this whole thing up. Maybe in some ways the disciples just thought, well, if we, if we steal the body of Jesus or if we try to hide the body of Jesus, then maybe uh, we just say, or we just tell people. Let's just say he, he rose from the dead and we can start this movement and we can keep this thing going because our livelihood is there. And, and here's, the, here's the reality of that. If, if, if they had lied about it, a body would have been produced. And yet they were willing to give their lives for the resurrection of Jesus. They were willing to give their lives to the mission that God had called them to. In fact, even if you look in Scripture and you go back to the Gospels and you see the first people to actually notice that Jesus was not in the tomb were the women. The women showed up to mourn and this is kind of what they would do. The women would show up, they would be loud, they would, they would mourn uh, audibly, visibly. Uh, it was something that you would do at a funeral so that other people could, could see your pain and they, they knew your pain. In fact, there were some people that were professional mourners that you could pay to go professionally mourn for you. So it was a way to kind of, present to the world, this is a person that we care deeply about. There's others that mourn. And the women were going to uh, the place where Jesus was buried and an angel showed up and moved the stone and says, see, this is empty in there. Jesus has risen. And they went back and told the other disciples. And here's the thing, if the disciples were trying to convince the world of a lie, they would never have said that women showed up there first. Because in this time frame, in this time of the world, women's Uh, opinion was not really considered that highly. In fact, they were not considered trustworthy. And so for that to be added in Scripture is not because they were trying to convince somebody, it's because that's what happened. That's how we can know Scripture is reliable, because it's sharing what actually happened in the world, not just something they were trying to manipulate others with. And so these women show up and, and say to the disciples, Jesus... Has risen. And I think what's interesting in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read is how many people Jesus showed himself to, over 500 people. In fact, Paul was like, a lot of them are still alive. So if you got questions, go talk to them. Go ask them. He, he revealed himself to Peter. He revealed himself to James. He revealed himself to the apostles, the disciples. He revealed himself to over 500 people. I mean, I don't know where 500 people were just hanging out, but Jesus just showed up in the midst of them, right? To, to say, here I am. And so if it was fake, this is my third question, if it was fake, why would so many be willing to give their lives? I don't know if you're a conspiracy theorist in here, and if you are, you probably don't think you are anyway, because you're just like, that's just the truth, man. Like, you're just, you know, like conspiracy theorists aren't like, I believe in conspiracies. You're like, nah, just, this is true though. We really didn't land on the moon and whatever. You know, like, that's just how you feel, if you, that's fine. But um, here, here's something to think about, 500 people Uh, kept this idea that they saw Jesus face to face. And not one of them cracked. Not one of them came back and said, you know what, now that you're offering to kill me over this, uh, the truth is, we made this whole thing up. That didn't happen. In fact, at the end of a spear, they were willing to give their lives for the truth that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And so that makes me wonder, in fact, even his enemies followed him. Pascal once said, I believe those witnesses who get their throats cut. Even Paul, even reminding us in here that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, a persecutor of Christians, a person who was considered himself a strong Jew and did not like the fact that there was this movement that was coming out of Israel, persecuted Christians regularly and then encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was changed forever. In fact, he's the one who is pinning these words that we just read. The reality is that Jesus rose from the dead and he has with that the power to conquer our sin. And so if we really do believe that Jesus died for our sin, why do we continue in it? If we really can say that Jesus gave his life for our sin, why do we continue to sin? Why do we day after day turn our backs to God and continue to seek out the things for ourselves? God says he is faithful to forgive. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And yet some of us have this cloud that hangs over our head and we feel like we brought the same thing to God over and over and over and we just can't get over it and we just keep asking forgiveness and we really need to say, God, forgive me of my arrogance for not believing that you forgave me the first time because the Bible tells me if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Certainly if you continue to sin, you need to continue to bring that before the Lord, but some of us are just hung up on that one insecurity or that one thing that we can't let go of. Jesus says, I got you, bring that to me. I am capable of handling that. Maybe it's because in some ways, like if somebody else that we know asked for forgiveness, And we tell them we forgive them, but we're still kind of holding a little bit of a grudge or we still hold that back. Maybe that's our human nature in the sense that we do that. But Jesus is saying, I want you to experience this grace. I want you to experience the freedom that I offer through the resurrection. The fact that your sin was nailed to the cross as I was nailed to the cross. And my power shows that I have the power to forgive that. So give it to me because I can handle it. I've got this. And we need to start embracing the fact that Jesus has taken the penalty of sin from us. So why are we only living for him on Sunday mornings? Why are we only living for him for an hour a week? Why why are we only uh, talking about him when it's required of us? Why aren't we submitting fully to who he is? There's a moment in this creed that talks about Jesus ascending into heaven. And uh, truly, if I could go back into time uh, to a couple of times when Jesus was here I would have loved to have been there for the ascension. Mount of Transfiguration is pretty high. Pretty sure I wouldn't have been allowed there, right? But like Jesus ascending, that would have been a pretty cool moment to be at, right? Jesus who has resurrected, uh, he is in the presence of the disciples. He reminds them of a few things. He says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's reminding the disciples of where he's going. but He's also saying, I have a greater mission now. I need you guys to be a part of accomplishing that. You as my body, the church, I want you to go out, I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, in my, baptizing them in my name. And then he ascends into heaven. What a beautiful picture of where Christ is even now as alive. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which leads us to the second thing, what Jesus is doing. Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 12, two says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus rules and reigns over all things. He can't be unseated and he is a place, in a place of power at the right hand of the Father. This week, um, I took my little seventh grade daughter to have oral surgery, little Piper, and um, she was a little nervous about it, right? Because she knew they'd have to put her under And she was like tiny bit uh, scared. And so as a dad, you wanna be strong for your kids. Um, But truly, uh, it is harder on a parent, isn't it? Like as a dad, you're like, man, this is even tougher on me than it is her, but you're like, you got this. And so we went in there, she was super strong. She couldn't eat or drink or anything that morning. I think that was the hardest part for her, to be honest. Um, We get in there and they start to give her the IV and you can see she's getting a little nervous. And I'm holding her hand and I'm like, you can do this. You know, I'm right there with her uh, the whole time. And then the doctor looks at me and goes, she's out, you can go to the waiting room, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, I'm gonna stay here holding my daughter's hand. Anybody can relate to that, right? You're like, I'm gonna be right here. I'm not going anywhere, you know? And he's like, no, you need to head on to the uh, room. In fact, I went to get my, my bags, I brought my laptop, and he thought I was planning to stay in the room. And he's like, no, no, you need, <laughs> he's really trying to get me out of there. I was like, I get it, but the hardest thing for me was to leave the room knowing that my little baby girl was sitting in that chair and he was gonna go take some teeth out of her mouth, right? It was difficult. I know that's a silly, small thing, and yet for me to be in that room would have actually been a huge challenge for him, right? He's have to work around me. I'm gonna be asking questions. There's gonna be moments that shouldn't be fearful moments, but it would probably be fearful for me, but for him, he's done hundreds of these things. He's an expert at it. He's gone to school for years and years and years, I had to trust him in that moment. I had to realize that he was more capable than me in that moment. He had way more credibility than I had to be in that room. I think sometimes for us, when we live for the Lord, we say, well, I gotta be here and I gotta do it my way and I wanna do it the way that I wanna do it. I've I've gotta have it uh, the way that I like it. Um, This is not the way that I wanna do it. And Jesus is saying, I need you to trust me. I have all authority. I have all the power. I am Lord of all. Nobody tells Jesus what to do. So trust me, I got this. And yet we wanna be in there, we wanna wanna take that stuff away, and Jesus is saying, submit to me fully with your life. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. He has all power, and we can lean into him, and we can trust him. The other thing Jesus is doing, at the right hand of the Father as he's interceding on our behalf. Jesus is regularly interceding on our behalf. The best picture in my mind uh, for me might even be somebody, an attorney, who is interceding for you, or a foster parent or an adoptive parent who now takes somebody into their family and intercedes on their behalf and wants the best for that child, that God, Jesus, is interceding for us regularly. Tim Chester, a pastor, said this way, if we walked up to a palace in London and asked to get in. If we walked to the the Queen's Palace and asked to get in, there's no way they would let us in. But Kate Middleton, at one point, was like that. She couldn't get in if she wanted to, but because of her relationship now with her husband, she has complete and full access. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, because on our own, we have no capability of getting into heaven. On our own, there's, there's no chance of us even being in the presence of God, and yet because of our relationship with Jesus, he has invited us in with that relationship. And by him interceding for us every day, knows that we will never be good enough, but Jesus is regularly interceding on our behalf so that when God sees us, he doesn't see Pat in all his sin, he doesn't see Pat in all his imperfections and all his insecurities, he sees Jesus because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Dane Ortlund said it this way, intercession is the constant hitting of refresh of our justification in the courts of heaven. I love that idea, you know, just like Jesus is hitting like command R over and over, just refresh, he needs this justification nonstop because Jesus there interceding on our behalf. The ever present power of the resurrection in our lives means we can live confidently because of what Jesus has done on the cross and to live confidently means that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that we have access to today. So submit to him. The third thing is what Jesus will do. He will return to judge and make all things right. We believe there's still work to be done. Revelation 22:12 12 says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, I will come and bring judgment. Now this judgment will bring justice once and for all because God is a just God. Do you ever have kids uh, in your life, if you have children at home that just say, it's just not fair. I got to watch an hour of TV. They got to watch two hours of TV. Y'all experience that? I've seen some parents that are just like, yes, that is my life, right? And sometimes we misunderstand what fair is. The fairness is reality that we deserve hell and eternal punishment from God, and yet he's offered us grace. And so that judgment is something we all deserve and yet Jesus is coming to judge and there will be two judgments. One, those of us who have decided to follow him with our lives, who've accepted grace, who've been willing to understand what it means to follow a God that loves us first and gave his life for us and so he in our place takes that judgment upon himself for us. Or two, those of us who said, I'm just gonna do it my way and I'm gonna live the way that I wanna live and I'm just gonna uh, handle my life the way that I want to and I don't care about God that person will experience damnation and separation from God forever. So judgment will come. Jesus says, I will come to judge. At my last church, uh, we took our students to Six Flags, and um, I don't know if you're a big Six Flags person or not, and, um, if you like theme parks and roller coasters, but I, I got a, a call, or I was standing right outside one of the roller coasters, and one of my students comes over and says, they're looking for you, and that's, it's never a good idea when there's a they. Right? When they're like, hey, they are looking for you. You're like, okay. who is they and what do they need? And, um, and it was one of the guys who works at Six Flags and he says, I need you to come with me. And I said, okay. And so we like walk backstage basically at Six Flags which just looks like a warehouse. Um, and we're walking to this little room and I walk in and two of my students are sitting there and I was like, oh, <laughs> well, are you guys all right? Are y'all sick? Are you hurt? <clears throat> and this guy says, these two students are now banned from Six Flags for life. <laughs> And I was like, for life? Um, some of y'all are like, please put me on that list. I don't ever want to have to go back to place. These guys were like, they looked at me like, for life? And one of them said, well, I can just go to another Six Flags. And they said, no, every Six Flags and our affiliates for life, Whitewater, all that stuff, you can never come back. And I was like, what did you guys do? Well, it turns out they tried to stand up on a roller coaster, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, don't do that, right? Like that's... You think they'd be smarter than that? And so uh, these, these two students, one of them, uh, my, my pastor's grandson, uh, sitting in this room and um, having to kind of explain to them the reality of the situation, one of them says, well, what if I wanna take my son here later one day? They said, well, it'll be criminal trespassing if you're ever here, even when you take your son here, you know, 10, 20 years from now. Um, kinda, kinda crazy, and they're so, even today, they're still dealing with the punishment of that judgment. They're still dealing with it today. This is about 10 years later. Still have to wonder if I go to Six Flags, am I gonna be prosecuted (laughs) criminally, right? At the end of the day, we have to surrender because that judgment is real, but Jesus has taken the judgment for us. He's taken the penalty for us. His judgment is to a world who's disobeyed him and he said, hey, listen, here's the deal. You deserve to be Penalized to be separated from heaven forever, for life. And yet, I'm offering you something greater. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is so great His love is so great for you and for me that His blood is all we need and we can surrender and submit to Him because He has all authority and He knows better than you and I know. Leads me to the thing I started with, which is the resurrection proves Jesus has the power to forgive us, sustain us, and offer us an eternal home with Him. We can live in confidence, not in fear. We can live in hope, knowing that whatever you brought into this room this morning, whatever struggles you're going through, whatever pain you're experiencing, or whatever joy you're walking through at this moment, Jesus is offering us hope beyond that. He's offering us life beyond that. He's saying that's not all it is. My power has shown that. And so I don't know if you've walked in this door and you said, man, I don't even know what it means to follow Jesus. And this morning, I am ready to make that decision. When I walked in these doors, I didn't even know the Holy Spirit was speaking to my I pray that you make today the day of salvation. Today would be the day that you decide to follow Jesus with your life. And I know we have folks in the room that right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to. Maybe you need to lean over to your friend and say, let's do this right now. Maybe you need to come forward, talk to me or Steve or one of our leaders. Let today be the day you make that decision. maybe you're like me, the Christian in the room that needs to know what it means to let go, to surrender and submit, and just let Jesus know, I know you got it. I'm willing to go wherever you call me to go, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it makes me nervous, I'm ready to do it because I know you know for me far better than I know for myself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and how you sustain us and love us through your power. And this morning, even looking at your resurrection and the fact that you even now are interceding on our behalf, Father, I thank you so much for the love of Christ. I pray for that person in this room that needs to make a decision. Father, I pray for every single person in this room as we leave this place that God, you would help us to, to learn what it means to submit and to surrender. Whatever thing it is that we're holding on to, whatever um, thing that we love that we just don't want to let go of, Father, I pray that you teach us to learn to let go of those things, to embrace you fully. In this moment, God, will you be lifted up and you be praised because you deserve it, because you hold everything in your hands. And I pray this in Jesus' name.